Yes, come on. Amen. Amen. Welcome, Relentless Church. My name is Raph. I am the associate pastor here at Relentless. For those of you who don't know me, um, welcome online and in the room. Uh, I see some new faces, and that is so uh, encouraging to me. I'm grateful for that and super excited, and I look forward to being able to say hello and, and get to know some of you uh, as these weeks continue. Uh, we are wrapping up today uh, a series that we've been in the past few weeks called Out the Mouth. Okay, out the mouth. Um, And really the bottom line, if you've missed it, if you haven't been here or this is your first time with us, the bottom line of this whole series is, is based off something Jesus said, that from the overflow of our hearts, the mouth speaks. Right? And, and it's, a, it's a process. It's a, it's a transformation that happens as he changes and transforms our hearts. Naturally, that's going to affect the things that, that come out of our mouths. And that's, that's certainly been my story. Uh, Pastor David told a uh, story last week, if you heard, um, about one of our staff meetings where uh, we weren't quite on the same page on what a cuss word was. And, and um, I, he said, maybe Raph can tell you what, what it was he couldn't remember. I'll be honest with you. There have been multiple occasions where that has happened. Uh, I'm not proud of that. I'm just saying it's transformation, right? It's a process. And so God is still transforming me in, in that. Um, actually, week two of the series where he was talking about truth and he was making the point about, um, um, you know, there are some people who are so honest, so love to tell the truth so much that sometimes they do it without grace or, or any kind of compassion. And as he's making that point, my wife's elbowing me in the ribs like, like that. I'm like, all right, man, I'm being transformed. I'm getting better at this, okay? It's happening. It's happening. But I'm, I'm really excited about uh, today because, uh, uh, you know, when David asked me to, to speak this morning, initially he sent me this one verse and said, I'd love for you to, to preach from this verse. It's, uh, it's Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, and it says this, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And I was really, really excited, to be honest with you all, to preach from this verse because it, it opens the door for me. It gives me the opportunity to, to talk about one of my favorite things on earth, one of the things I'm more passionate about than anything in this world, which is food. Okay, so just that sprinkled with salt just opened the whole world of possibilities for me. And I was super excited uh, uh, about that, okay? First of all, there's a, um, there's a, a book, and it's been turned into a Netflix document, documentary, okay, four-part series called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. All right, you should check this out. It's my favorite cookbook. It's, it's amazing. It's changed the way I cook. There's one episode of the show just entirely dedicated to salt, okay? I'm not going to like go into all of that for you, but I'm just telling you it's, it's, it's well worth your time, okay? It has changed the way I cook and, and how I feel about cooking. Okay, there's another one while we're on Netflix documentaries called Chef's Table, okay, that I, I, I've been getting into recently. And I watched this one particular episode the other day where there was this, this woman from uh, the Yucatan in Mexico. She is a Mayan woman who still, like her and her family and her, her uh, village still hold like the traditions of their Mayan culture from like a thousand years ago. And so she makes this, this dish called cochinita pibil, okay? Cochinita pibil, it's, it's like slow roasted pork that, again, she makes it like her ancestors did a thousand years ago, digging a hole in the ground, making a pit, wrapping the meat in some banana leaves and uh, seasoned it up and slow cook it all day. And so these guys heard about her, this like famous chef and this, this uh, uh, food historian. They hear, they get, they get word of this lady and they travel to this remote village in the Yucatan to visit her and she cooks for them and she makes them this dish 
and she puts like the pork in this little handmade fresh like corn tortilla. And this guy, the camera zooms in on like the historian's face and he's like emotional by this point. He's getting like, it's spiritual for him. And, and, and he says, when I bit into that taco, it changed my life. Like it, and I'm just like looking from like, we need to go to the Yucatan because I need a life-changing taco. I need to experience that. Like it's, it's, I didn't even get to taste it. It's already starting to change me. I was so pumped, like so excited, right? And, and so again, I get, I get pumped about this stuff and I wanna, I wanna make the connection between like these illustrations and, 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 and scripture, right? And, and hopefully it gets you not just excited about food. By the end of today, some of y'all gonna be mad at me because you're hungry and we're not even close to lunch yet, right? But we'll get there, I promise. We'll, we'll get there. But I want to get you excited about the connection to the, to the Bible, right? And, and, and God's word and what it looks like for his followers to, to, um, to speak in a way that is full of grace and seasoned with, with salt, okay? And I promise we're going to get to that. We're going to get to all of that. But as I really started studying this verse and, and digging into this text and the verses around it, God showed me something bigger. Uh, two, two things, in fact, uh, that two very important things with respect to our mouths and the connection to our hearts that, that I believe um, the Apostle Paul was trying to drive home as he wrapped up his letter to the church in Colossians chapter 4. Those two things, I'll, I'll give them to you up front, is prayer and evangelism. Prayer and evangelism. Evangelism, if you don't know, is just a, a fancy word for, for sharing the gospel of Jesus. For, for talking to people about the, the message of, of Jesus Christ. And, and I want you to see it for yourselves in, in Colossians 4. Uh, first, I'll g- give you a little bit of context. Um, Paul wrote this letter to proclaim Jesus as the supreme power and authority over all, okay? The church uh, ag- that he's writing to uh, in, this, in this letter uh, was experiencing some some false teaching, right? They, there were some false teachers showing up and there were people who were trying to, trying to distort the gospel, trying to add things on that, that, that Jesus never said and trying to make it something that it wasn't. So Paul gets wind of this and he writes to them to kind of correct this and, and really to, to uh, encourage these followers of Jesus to live godly lives, okay? He's writing to remind them of the power of the gospel that saved them and to encourage them to continue following Jesus, Okay, and then, and then he gives the church these final instructions in Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 2. He said, devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So, so devote yourselves, another translation says, uh, continue steadfastly in prayer. Keep praying, don't stop, be devoted to prayer. Now, what, what does that really mean? What's that, what's that look like? Is he talking about how long we need to pray? Is he talking about how frequently we should, we should pray? Is Paul saying, hey, we need to get up like before the sun even comes up, like Jesus did and pray? Um, I'm not sure, I'm, I mean, I, I'm sure that wouldn't hurt, <laughs> but, but I don't think he's necessarily prescribing for us a model of prayer. I don't think he's given us a recipe of like, do it this way, and this is what it means to be devoted to prayer. I think Paul is more talking about a posture of prayer, a, a lifestyle where prayer is incorporated into it uh, to, to such an extent that, that um, it's, it's vital, it's pivotal to how we, how we live. Because when you, when you think about um, the way that Jesus prayed, right, to, to pray like Jesus prayed is to pray like we actually believe that prayer moves the heart of God. That's how Jesus prayed. Right? Jesus, Jesus prayed in, in such a way that, that he expected his prayers to affect the will of God. I believe that's the kind of prayer Paul's, Paul's talking about. Right? He, he, Jesus, Paul, were, were so devoted to prayer because they were devoted to their relationship with God. And they knew that that's the way that they would experience the Lord. 
Okay, prayer was vital to them because it was the way that they communicated with God and the way God communicated back to them. And it became such an important part of their, their lives. And what I think Paul is saying here is, hey, church, y'all want to learn how to walk the walk as Christians, as, as followers of Jesus? You want to experience a healthy, vibrant, life-giving relationship with the living God? Devote yourselves to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. That's what he's reminding the church. That's what he's calling them to. Verse three, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul says, by by the way, while you're praying, (laughs) right, while while you're recommitting yourself or devoting yourselves to pray, to prayer, go ahead and pray for, pray for me too. Pray, pray for, pray for us. He says, I'm in, I'm in chains. Paul is in prison uh, in Rome where, where, when he writes this letter, okay? That's kind of the context of this, of this letter. And, and what is his prayer request? Is it for God to get him out of prison? Which he had already done once before. This isn't Paul's first stint in prison. If you go to uh, Acts chapter 16, I, I believe it is, uh, Paul and his friend Barnabas are in jail and, and uh, they start singing worship songs to God. They just start singing these, these hymns and praising the Lord and, and the ground shakes and all of a sudden the, the prison walls come crashing down and Paul and his friends are able to walk right out of there, but not before they take the jailer with him, go to his house and baptize him and bring him to Jesus. It's an amazing story that we don't really have time to dig into today, but, but you should check it out. But that's, Paul, this was before this, right? So now here Paul is, and he's in jail again. And he's saying, hey, y'all, pray for me. And does he say, pray that God does that awesome thing he did before? No. He didn't say, pray that God, they get me some some food, I'm starving in here. Pray that my stay in prison is more comfortable. No, that's not what he asked for. Paul's prayer request is is what? That, That God may open a door for our message. What message? The gospel the gospel, the incredible news of our, of our adoption and rescue by God through Jesus. He says, pray that God would open a door, open an opportunity for me to share, share that message, right? Paul says, I know I'm in prison, but please pray that God would send me another, another jailer. This guy who's been chained to me, he's getting sick of my message. Pray they send me another one. They change shifts so I can preach the gospel to him. And then he says, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. What's the mystery? The mystery is he, he refers to us. He actually goes into detail on this in, in, uh, in, in, in Ephesians, which is another letter he wrote from this same prison cell. But the mystery is, is this, okay? That Jew and Gentile are now one in Jesus Christ. Paul said, there's no longer Jew and Gentile. There's there's no longer male and female, slave and master, rich or poor, but a new humanity that has been made one in Jesus Christ. We are a a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God. And if you're new with us, what you need to understand is we we didn't make that up. That's, that's from scripture. That was God's plan for the church from the, from the very beginning. And he tasked Paul with, with uh, kicking that into motion. And so what he's saying here is not that when he says you're, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, there's no longer man, women, rich, poor, he's not saying, hey, forget about your culture, forget about your race, forget about your, your sex or your, all these things that we use to qualify and identify ourselves and build our identities on. He's not saying those things don't matter anymore. He's saying those things used to be your number one thing and now they're not. They bow down to the Jesus Christ in you. And because we are now one, a new humanity in Jesus Christ, 
We are a family, and that's the most important thing about us. And so now we look and see our differences and the things that used to separate us, those walls have been kicked down. Now they bring us together, and we see the beauty, and we celebrate them in each other. That's the church, the way God designed it to be. Paul says, hey, help me share that message. Help God. Please ask God to give me the words to make that clear, because when people hear that, it'll change them the way it changed me. Man, I told you, I I sat down to write a different message this week. And God used Paul's words and and, and his heart from Colossians chapter 4 to stop me in my tracks. And he convicted me that there really are, there are two things that I personally, wrath, right, have been neglecting that really should consume the heart of every Jesus follower to the point that, that it influences everything else that comes out of our mouths. Prayer and evangelism. I'm talking about a, a committed devotion to a lifestyle of prayer and a, and a heartfelt desire to share the gospel of Jesus with people. And I just, as I was trying to flesh out what this means for me, I, God kind of brought me to this devotion that I had done uh, a while back. Uh, it's, a, it's a devotion on prayer. And as I was kind of reading through it, trying to figure out what God was trying to point me to, there was this one question that just kept sticking out in my head. And it, it was this, it said, if, if God said yes to every prayer you prayed in the last week, how would the world be different? Just last seven days, right? Take inventory, audit, prayer audit, the last seven days, everything you prayed for. And there's nothing, as I did that, right? For me personally, there was nothing I prayed that, that that wasn't good. There's nothing that God wouldn't, wouldn't have wanted to give me, but there was nothing that would change the world. Right? My, all my meals would have been blessed. My, my kids and my family would be safe and well taken care of. I'd be excelling at my job. And, and, and there were a couple really good prayer requests I've gotten from staff and friends that I have been praying for that, that for sure, like they need God to show up and, and I'm praying that he will. But, but in all honesty, I can't, I, honesty, I can't say that, that the world would be any different if God answered every prayer that I made in the last seven days. And that convicted me. It convicted me. Again, that's my conviction. It's not necessarily yours, but I needed to stop, confess that to God, ask for forgiveness and repent. And so that's, that's the journey he's been taking me on in the, in the last couple of weeks. Because the truth is I'm not devoted to prayer. I pray, I pray regularly, but I'm not, I'm not devoted to prayer. I share the gospel on a regular basis for my job. <laughs> I actually get paid to do it. Okay. But, but, but I can't, I can't remember the last time I prayed for opportunities to share the gospel outside of the context of my job. In fact, I can think of a couple times where I, where I maybe shied away from it. And that I'm just, God just wrecked me, convicted me of that. Cause that's clearly something we are called to do as followers of Jesus, at least according to Paul, it is. Check it out in verse five, he continues. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Paul says, as a follower of Jesus, you need to be wise in the way that you act and the way that you conduct yourselves and in how we speak and how we treat outsiders. Now, when he says outsiders, he's talking specifically about people who do not follow Jesus. Right? At least according to Paul, he's saying, hey, there's a different standard from, from the way we hold uh, ourselves and people in the church and people out there who don't know Jesus. 
He says, be wise in how you act for them. He's saying, Christians, you're not only supposed to uh, live your lives in such a way that doesn't turn off non-Christians, okay? But, but the way you live and speak should be so attractive, in fact, that it actually draws them closer to Jesus, that it's inviting to them to investigate Jesus, that they might want whatever it is you have. Then he says, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. There's a sense of, of urgency here. Paul is urging the church, hey, be alert, be prayerful, be ready, live in such a way that draws people to you, right, to the Jesus in you. And then when those opportunities come, and they will come, I promise you, make the most of them. Seize them. Don't let them pass you by. And let's be honest. Is that the picture most unchurched people see when they look at the church today? Better yet, I'll, I'll personalize it. Is that the picture people see when they look at me and when they look at my life? And again, if I got to be honest, I'm not sure it is. I'm not sure it is. And God brought me to this question. What if it was? But, but what if it was? In other words, what if I was as passionate about sharing Jesus with others as I was about sharing my favorite restaurant? I just, I just had no problem a minute ago evangelizing to you all about my favorite food documentaries on Netflix, right? That was easy for me. I have no problem talking to you about, about the power of a life-changing taco, okay? Seriously, and I'm passionate about it. But what if I had that same sense of urgency and, 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 and passion and intentionality and excitement about pointing people to our Lord and Savior who really is the only one who can change a life? What if I was as devoted to prayer as I am to planning out my next meal? My family and I are going to a, a, a trip. We're going to, to Boston in a couple weeks to visit family. It's been about four years since me and my wife and kids have all been up there to see my brother and sisters and nieces and nephews and all the kids are going to get together and play. And just so excited about just seeing family and, and, and all that trip's going to be. But I got to be honest with y'all. I have a Google Doc, okay? It's like an itinerary planning out our trip. And it's, it's basically our trip through meals. Like every restaurant we're going to hit, all the ones I've missed that I haven't been to in four years, what meals I want my mom to make me when, I, when we're at her house, when we're going to go to my brother's restaurant. Like it is the map of our trip through food. Okay. And, and I'm just saying, what if, what if, what would happen if I put that same excitement and energy and attention to detail into cultivating a lifestyle that is devoted to prayer? What kind of difference would that make? What kind of impact would that make? We did a, um, so grateful for Pastor David. He, he started a, a prayer initiative for us as a staff last month. And we did 30 days where basically each one of us would, um, he asked for one prayer request. One, it could be more than one, but one big thing that, that you want other people praying for. And, uh, and we all share that. And then we each picked one day where we would fast from something. Could be uh, a meal, could be social media, whatever. You choose what it is. But on that one specific day, you're going to fast. And the idea is that whenever you're, you're tempted or you think about doing that one thing, whatever you gave up, you, you, you go to prayer, like immediately, right? And so we did that for a month. It was really good. It was really powerful. Um, I remember it was probably, I don't know if we were halfway, maybe three weeks in, I chose uh, to fast from lunch on Saturdays. 
And so it was a Saturday where I was particularly hungry. It's like 11.30 and my stomach's growling. And I was like, all right, I got to pray. I got to pray. And I just, that day in particular was like, I was, I was storming the gates of heaven. Like I texted David. I was like, I am, I am beseeching the Lord on your behalf right now. I hope you feel it because I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. But it was, did something. It was like affecting my heart. You know what I mean? And, and it was awesome. And then 30 days were over, and I was like, oh, I'm so glad that's over with, right? It was so great. And then I just kind of let it go, you know? Um, but, but I'm just saying, what if, what if I was so devoted to prayer that, that I developed prayer pains, right? Instead of, you know, you get hungry and your body lets you know you're hungry, that's what that pain is about, right? I, if, if I don't have a cup of coffee in the morning right around noontime and I start getting that headache and I start getting like, you know what I mean? And it's my body telling me, hey, you put this thing in it every day and I need it right now. What if I was so devoted to prayer that if I, I happened to miss it or, or not do it at a certain point, my body did something to trigger me and tell me, hey, you ain't connected with the Lord in a while and that's the most important thing you can do. So why don't you get to it right now? You need it. Your body needs it. Your soul needs it. Your people need it. Man, that's, that's what it means to be devoted to prayer. Again, what kind of effect would that have on my family, on my life, on my, my neighborhood, on our community, on our church? Collectively, if we all started to do that, on our nation, on the world. That's the message Paul's saying to the church. Here's the deal. As, follower, as a follower of Jesus, you are called to prayer. And you are called to share the gospel. It's a, it's a calling. These two things are not optional. They're, they're foundational to the life of a Jesus follower. They're not reserved for the spiritually elite, for pastors or for, for, for uh, preachers or for super Christians like the Apostle Paul. No, it's for all of us. This is a mandate for every person who makes a decision to their faith in Jesus Christ and follow him. Devote yourself to prayer and make the most of every opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be real with y'all, church. There, again, I talked about the distinction Paul makes between, in, in most of Colossians, he's talking to the church. Uh, uh, David, uh, reference Colossians chapter three, where he's directly calling out sin in the church and telling them, hey, here's how you live a godly life, right? And so there's a way he talks to followers of Jesus and then he makes the pivot distinction and says, hey, when you're dealing with outsiders, we hold them to a different standard, right? In this, this next moment right here, I'm, I'm like Paul, I'm talking to followers of Jesus right now. When I say that oftentimes we run from our responsibilities in evangelism, we neglect our responsibilities in prayer and then we gripe about the spiritual condition of our families, our churches, our nation, and the world. Please hear me when I, when I tell you, this isn't me standing up here pointing my finger at you. It's me opening up the pages of God's holy scripture, looking at the mirror of his word and saying, something's not lining up. Something's not lining up. As a follower of Jesus, you are called to prayer and you are called to share the gospel. And I really do believe that the difference between the life God wants for us, lives marked by Holy Spirit power and radical love and, and, and miraculous life change and supernatural peace, like that life, the difference between that and the lives we're currently experiencing as Jesus followers is in our willingness and our commitment to answer that call. 
And so if you're with me this far, maybe, maybe I've convinced you, right? And you're like, that sounds great, Raph, but how? Right? Like I'm in, I want to do that, but how? What does that, what's that look like? Because I can stand up here and talk about how I should be just as passionate about sharing Jesus with people as I am about sharing my favorite restaurant or movie or whatever else that may be. But the reality is it's just easier to talk about those things, right? Especially with people who don't know Jesus. It's just easier. And we can go into all the reasons why that may be, but, but, but at the end of the day, it's just true, right? That's a, that's a fact. It is what it is, right? So what do we do? We can't deny that, so, so we should prepare for it. Let's prepare for it. And that's, that's, I think that's, Paul understands this, which is why he makes that distinction in verse five. Hey, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. He's not saying be deceitful or disingenuous, or he's not asking us to, to try and fool anybody or pull the wool over their eyes. No, in fact, it's the opposite. He's saying conduct yourselves with such integrity at all times. Be the type of person that others know they can trust. And be careful not to act or live or speak in such a way that it could potentially damage your witness, that it could damage your testimony as a follower of Jesus. And and that brings us back to verse six, where Paul gets, gets really practical. Okay, again, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation always be full of grace. Uh, a verse before that, verse five, he said, make the most of every opportunity. Misty, uh, my wife Misty and I, we did uh, premarital counseling before we, we got married. Our pastor kind of recommended it before he would marry us. And it was really good. Um, at the time, I remember it being good and it helpful and all this stuff. But there's one thing that really stood out. We did this exercise uh, that this lady took us through and, and she pointed out that a lot of times when we were talking to each other, we would say, always, never, Every, we would use these terms when really I was talking about one incident, right? You, you never fill up the ice tray. It really is never, but I'm just saying, you never fill up the ice tray. You always put it back empty, right? Or you just back and forth. But we, she kind of helped us and say, hey, why don't you just talk about this instant and say, you did, you know, you did this thing and here's how it made me feel. And it was just, you know, practical counseling stuff that helped us along the way. It stood out to me though, why I'm sharing that is because we take license with those words. Always, every, never. God doesn't. God doesn't. When God says always, he means always. When he says every, he means every, right? And in this case, he's telling us in no uncertain terms, let your conversation be always full of grace. Always full of grace. Now, when he says grace here, I think Paul's referring to both God's grace and human graciousness, right? There's a human graciousness is, is uh, we know enough to know. It's, 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 man, when you're dealing with someone else, put yourself in their shoes, Try to understand their context and where they're coming from. Be compassionate, have forgiveness, right? All those, have empathy, all those things. That's how we show grace to one another. There's a way that humans can be gracious. And God says, if you're gonna call yourself his people, you don't have a choice. Always lead with grace, right? But then there's this other idea of of just the amazing grace of God, right? The magnitude, just how big, how, how amazing, how powerful God's grace is that it can actually change a life. And the reality is most people, most people who don't know Jesus, a lot of people who do know Jesus still don't have a complete full understanding of God's grace and how amazing it is. And, and, And man, I just think sometimes 
as, as Christians, as, as the church, as followers of Jesus, sometimes we get so busy pointing out the sin in someone's life that we forget to point out the God in their life. Which is best illustrated by God's grace. That's, I mean, I go back to my story before I knew Jesus. I didn't need someone to remind me of my sin. My sin was the reason I wouldn't dare walk through a church. Okay, because from what I thought I knew about God, uh, if he was real, I had disqualified myself. And so I figured, hey, I'm just gonna do me because what's, what's the point? I had no idea about God. I knew the 10 commandments, or at least I thought I did. Not really, but you know what I'm saying? I, I knew all the reasons why I, I wouldn't be accepted or why hypocrites would, would point finger. Like all these things in my mind, I, I thought I knew. My, the reason I didn't know Jesus had nothing to do with, because, I, I, I didn't, because of my sin. It's because I did not have an understanding of God's grace. And it wasn't until I met my wife and she introduced me to God's grace and she introduced me to the love of Jesus and, and ultimately uh, got me to start going to church and reading my Bible that, that, that God just <laughs> displayed his grace to me fully, like made it clear to me that it doesn't matter where I've been or what I've done, that I cannot sin enough, I can't make a, enough bad decisions, that there's nowhere I can go that his grace won't find me and redeem me and restore me. And when that truth met me and landed on my heart, it changed everything. Paul saying, lead with that. People don't know that. People need to know that. That's where the power is. That's where the life changes. That's where transformation comes from. It's the amazing grace of God that he continues to reveal to us over and over again. And, and so for us, the people of God, the, the mandate is to lead with grace always. Every time you open your mouth, every time you come across someone who doesn't know Jesus, be a walking, talking, living, breathing demonstration of God's amazing grace. Why? Because that's where the power is. That's the motivation for life change. It's the, the grace of God. And finally, Paul gets to my favorite part, seasoned with salt. Seasoned with salt. Jesus said, Paul's referencing something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. What's that mean? I'm, I'm just going to give you three properties of salt, okay? Number one, salt is healing. Salt is medicinal, okay? Um, if you've ever had a sinus infection or, or maybe a, a, a sore tooth or a canker sore, maybe, maybe someone told you to, to gargle with some, some salt and hot water, right? That's because it's got healing properties. If you ever had a cut on your hand or, or your leg or your foot or something and you're at the beach and you go into the ocean, it stings for a second and then after a while you're like, oh, it feels kind of getting better. And then you notice it's like, well, it's healing up pretty good. Like, that's because salt is healing. Salt is, is, is healing. It prevents infections. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be healers spiritually. We're, we're called to help people. When people are hurt or in crisis and they're looking for someone to help, help, them, help make them feel better, okay? And that person usually has a salt-like aspect to their lives, has the wisdom to know what to say or when to say nothing at all and just listen, to, 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 to immediately go to prayer and just know how to comfort people, right? Instinctively, some people are better than others at that, but Paul's saying, hey, you know who's who should be really good at that? Christians, followers of Jesus. We should be salt 
Jesus is saying there are people who are hurting in the world and as his followers, there, there should be something about us that, that provides healing to the broken. There should be something about your life, something about the way you speak, something about the way you, you conduct yourself and interact with other people that, that offers hope to the hopeless. Be salt. Salt enhances flavor. Salt enhances, it draws out flavor from food, whatever it is, a vegetable, a piece of meat. Some people, I don't know if you've ever seen, like just sprinkle, uh, sprinkle a little bit of salt on ice cream. Like, oh, that's weird. No, it, it actually highlights the flavor. It makes that delicious ice cream even more delicious. Not too much, but just a little bit. It draws out the flavor. It enhances flavor, okay? Um, I, I mentioned that salt, fat, acid, heat book. Um, the chef who wrote that, her name is Samin Nozrat. And her, uh, her, one of her signature dishes that, that I love is one of my favorites is a, it's a chicken dish. It's just a whole, roasted chicken. It's so simple. She takes a whole chicken, just seasons it like generously with salt, dump some buttermilk over it, leave it in the fridge for 24 hours, take it out, scrape off the excess buttermilk, plop it in the oven. What comes out is the crispiest, most delicious, like skin on the outside, juicy, full of flavor chicken on the inside you'll ever have in your life. I'm serious. And, and I'm like, the first time I ate it, I was like, I made it, mind you. But I'm like, what's in this? Like, because there's got to be all these crazy seasonings and ingredients to make it taste so good. No, it's just salt, right? Salting at the right time in the right proportions draws the flavor out in the chicken. It was already in there, but the salt drew it out and made it taste that much better, right? Samin calls this seasoning from within. Seasoning from within, okay? Now, Paul's saying we should be the type of people who, who bring the best out in those around us, right? We should, Jesus followers should use our words to lift people up and make them better, highlight their gifts, bring them to the surface. Salt brings out the best flavor in food and we should be known for bringing out the best in people. You know what I love about salt too and respect to cooking? It's kind of, it's, it's the under the surface ingredient. It's not the star of the show. Nobody ever has a piece of steak and says, man, the salt on this steak is so good, right? Like, no, this steak is so delicious. It's got so much flavor. Where's that come from? The salt is under the surface. It's drawing out the flavor, but it's not the star of the show. See what I'm saying? I think, I think that's who we're called to be as Jesus followers. You, you may not always see us on the surface because we don't need the credit. In fact, we don't want the credit. We want Jesus to get the credit, but we're there. And we're making the most out of every opportunity, bringing the best out of every environment, full of grace and seasoned with salt, flavoring every conversation, every encounter, every relationship from within. Last thing, salt makes you thirsty. Salt causes thirst, right? If, if you've ever eaten a bag of chips or um, finished off a whole tub of popcorn at the movies, no judgment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> salt causes thirst, right? It makes you thirsty. Again, Paul is saying that when you follow Jesus, people will be drawn to you. They will be drawn to him through you, and it will actually lead them to want to know more about him. I told y'all, my wife was the one who introduced me to Jesus and ultimately got me to go to church. Initially, though, when she first brought that up, um, we were at a point in our lives, we've been dating, I think over three years and uh, talking about, hey, future, kids, marriage, all that stuff. And we had a really hard conversation where she approached me one day and said, 
I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but I, I can't spend the rest of my life with a man who doesn't know and love Jesus and follow Jesus. And, and my initial response was, you give me an ultimatum right now, <laughs> right? Like that's not going to go well. Like we had an argument, right? It wasn't, it wasn't like beautiful in any way, right? But, but, but we kind of went our separate ways a little bit. And I don't know if it was a day or two or a week. I, I can't remember how long it was, but I know eventually we came back. And, and, and in that time, what I know now is God through his spirit was working in my heart. And what he brought me to was, hey, I know how much she loves me. I know this woman wants to spend the rest of, of my, her life with me and I want to spend the rest of my life with hers, but she's willing to walk away from that for this Jesus. There must be something to him. There must be something. So, so I said, all right, I'm going to investigate, right? And, and that's what I did. And I, I went to church, dragging my feet, felt a little bit better walking out than I did walking in and that kept me going back. And, and eventually God grabbed my heart and, I, and, and, and you know, I'm, I'm saying, she was salty as a, as a follower of Jesus. She was just salty enough to make me thirsty for Jesus. See what I'm saying? Like we need to ask ourselves, are we causing the people around us to thirst for Jesus in a good way? Because that's what salt does. That's what salt does. It makes, it makes people thirst. Now, we also need to understand that in order for God to do any of this stuff through us, he first has to do it in us, right? And so Jesus is the one who does all these things. Jesus is, is the one, he does them for us first before he ever calls us to do them for others, right? He's always full of grace. He meets us right where we are. Romans 5, 8, while you were still sinners, God sent Christ to the cross to die for you. He's our healer. In our brokenness, in our pain, in our suffering, he meets us there and he, he restores, he redeems. And he seasons us from within, brings out the best in us. And as you continue to follow him, you'll begin to thirst for him more and more. You'll want more Jesus in your life. And you'll start to develop a thirst to help other people know him as well. And because Jesus is grace and salt for us, we should want to be grace and salt for others, especially those who don't know him. I think that's what Paul is reminding us of here. We are called, y'all, we're called to prayer and we're called to share the gospel. And that calling is not a burden, it's a blessing. It's a blessing that our Father in heaven, creator of the universe, sent his perfect sinless son to die on the cross for the world, for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. And then three days later, he rose again, defeating death. And in doing so, he opened the door to all who would put their faith in him to also rise with him in new life. And for those of us who have made that decision to follow him, God now gives us the opportunity and the privilege to be a part of his redemptive plan to save humanity. One prayer, one conversation, one loving act of grace and salt at a time, we get to play a role in God's plan to save the world. It's amazing. I mentioned we're going to Boston in a couple weeks. It's been about four years since I've gone up there. And I'll be honest, the last time I went up, I felt, I felt a burden. And I felt like I got friends, I got family members 
who don't know Jesus, some who don't want to know Jesus, some who would say, yeah, I believe in God, but they're certainly not living for and following Jesus. And I felt this burden, like tension between, man, it's my job to make sure they get saved, but also um, I go up there and start talking about Jesus and no one's even going to want to talk to me and I haven't seen them in forever. And I just want to like, I want them to also still see me as wrath. And it was just like this internal battle and tension I have. And I just felt God's spirit this week preparing me for this trip and saying, hey, it's not a burden. It's a blessing. Pray the same prayer that Paul prayed, that I make the most of every opportunity and that every time I open my mouth, my words are dripping with grace and salt. That's all I got to do. The burden's his. He'll do the hard work. He does the heavy lifting. Just be faithful and answer the call. So I'm asking y'all, pray for me in that. And that's going to be my prayer for all of you in your context, in your life, in your mission field, at your job or your school or wherever you're at. Be full of grace, seasoned with salt, and devote yourself to prayer. They don't even got to know that you're praying for them. But you can be doing it. And I just have a feeling if we in the church started to love the world the way that Jesus did, the, the, the way that Paul is calling us to, if we devoted ourselves to prayer and made the most of every opportunity full of grace and salt, the world might just come running to Jesus. And then the change we long to see might actually begin to happen. How amazing would that be? What a blessing to be a part of that. That's what he invites us to. So again, that's... that's been my prayer. It's going to continue to be my prayer for you all, for us as a church. If you would, bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your amazing grace that, that quite frankly, still trying to wrap my mind around, God. I pray for every person in this room that, that, that your grace, full of grace, God, that it would just wreck us all in the best way possible, that we would come face to face with it, Lord, and, and, and it, would, it would change us to the point where, where it's impossible for us to keep it to ourselves. God, help us to lead with it. Help us to sprinkle some, some salt in and let the people in our lives know how much we love them, Lord, and how much you love them as a result. God, I, I thank you for the opportunity to play a small role, a part, in your plan, Lord, to save your people. God, we, we, we thank you, God. We pray for courage and boldness and, and, and um, God, just encouragement as we answer that call. And Lord, for, for just all those people under the sound of my voice, Lord, who, who maybe have never made the decision to follow you, God, I pray you would do what only you can do and grab hold of their hearts and draw them close to you, God. And I pray that they would find someone uh, in this room, someone in their lives, someone that, that God, that just you would, you would provide an opportunity for them to step into a life-giving relationship with you that would change them forever. Lord, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I, I love y'all. It's been a pleasure. Please make sure to come back next week. We're kicking off a new series. Um, and I'm going to cheat right now because I forgot the title. I'm going to look at it and then I'm going to tell you, okay? Please don't judge me. All right. So it is called uh, Exchange Rate, okay? And it is a conversation about what's worth living for.
right? What are you, what are you really living for? We're going to dig into that for about three weeks or so. And, uh, and, and I would love to see you all here. All right. Have a great week.